This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Cold Jack, episodes three and four. September 2nd, 10 p.m., Leon Van Heusen, single, ambitious, slightly paranoid. By day, a television repairman. By night, an observer, a man with a purpose. The author of Mathematico, a universal language that Leon has refined for use in unconventional communication. Welcome to Continuing Drag, the podcast that flips through the newspaper directly to the spooky pages. <laughs> I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'm going to give you my favorite line from these two episodes, uh, and it's uh, one of the narrations that Kolchak gave. He said, uh, what can you expect from a city that erects a building to look like a stack of flapjacks and where some of the men dust their eyebrows with glitter? I thought, huh, how about that, he's got, Kolchak? He's got some real problems with masculinity, that <laughs> Well, which is funny too for a man who is—I I wouldn't put masculine as uh, as one of the main traits of describing him. I think he would. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> but it's true. I, I what I like about his character is I think there is that level of like certain masculinity. But then anytime he's in any sort of tense situation, he's like screaming, shrieking, and falling all over himself. It's very funny. It's a good character yeah. trait. Hmm. Anyway, uh, this week we have a guest, a returning guest, joining us. Jane, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm so excited to be back. It's been quite some time since I've been on the show. Yeah, when I've were been you here last? To this. I, it was like two years ago. I bet it was um, uh, the Stephen King thing. Yes, it was the Langoliers. Langoliers, That's right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I forced you guys to do. That was so good. We <laughs> talked about it every day. I know. I, 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 was, I really appreciated that you guys did that with me. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry that it was such a bad TV movie, but I really enjoyed doing it. It's fine. Looking it, back, it's... I don't remember it so so badly. You know, it's one of those things where you look back, I'm like, yeah, it was all right. I remember a lot of Bronson Pinchot sweating. Yeah, see, this is the thing. This was always my memory of the Langoliers is that it was kind of interesting because basically you end up remembering like the concept of it, mm-hmm. not the actual execution of it because the concept is sort of captivating in this way anyways i mean it's fine um, we were gonna watch a stephen king thing either way it just that way we ended up being the langoliers <laughs> was great um, but i'm happy to be back and i'm super excited that you guys invited me back for cold check because it's a show that i had heard about from when i was young and never i don't know i never sought it out and i never watched it and it was a really great opportunity to check it out nice nice so you had heard of cold check before this that's good Well, I had because of the X-Files, because literally every single thing about the X-Files, Chris Carter would say he was a big fan of Kolchak, the Night Stalker, and wanted to make a show that was similar to that. Well, that's Um, that's good. I forgot you're you're, you're a resident X-Files super fan. Yeah. So I was a super fan in the 90s, and it was kind of the publicity line that kept coming up. Like anytime there was an article or something about it, he would talk about that. Um, Actually... Knowing that, I expected a slightly different type of show than what we actually got in Kolchak. <laughs> I was going to ask you, do you see a similarity a similarity between the X-Files and this, either thematically or a through line? of Obviously, they're both paranormal investigative uh, shows, yeah. but do you think there's anything else that kind of you would know this is a in some ways a precursor to the X-Files? I don't think that if you, if you just watched it, you wouldn't say, oh my gosh, this is like the X-Files because it's not yeah. like the X-Files. It's The tone is entirely different. Um, you know, the lead character is a reporter. He's not a 
you know, he's not a police officer or an FBI agent or anything like that. Um, the tone is like so light and funny and quirky. Um, but I can see how it would have captivated the imagination of like a young person with the idea that, so I was thinking about, I was trying to think about like, what is it about this show that makes it, would have made it kind of different from the other stuff that was on TV at that time. And maybe you guys, I don't know if you have talked about this already when you did the first two episodes. Um, but I think the fact that it was like paranormal stuff, but that was very rooted in reality. Like he has this like very dragnet kind of way of speaking and everything just seems like pretty normal. All the police officers are like normal guys and there's not actually a lot of quote unquote spooky stuff in it. Um, and the music sounds like a cop show and it's all like, it just, it's very procedural in a lot of ways. So I think that contrast between it being this paranormal stuff in an ordinary world and that combined with this whole idea of the cover-up, which I think is really what probably Chris Carter and the X-Files was really into, is this idea that the government is constantly covering up these things, that these yeah. things are happening in day-to-day -day life and they're happening around the corner and down the street. And there's always some sort of like civic improvement project that has covered up the evidence of the UFO or whatever it is. Um, and I think that was super, and, and it was across a lot of um, sort of the zeitgeist in the 70s, obviously, because of Watergate and all the political cover-ups that were happening. So when I, Yeah, when I was watching these episodes, that's what I was sort of realizing. I think maybe this is where the crossover with X-Files comes, is it feels very post-Watergate, like your hero's a reporter, every cop you can't trust, the government is in the background, like covering things up. And I think in that way, like, the X-Files was also that sort of reactionary, like, don't you can't trust what's being told to you kind of thing. It's like captured like a moment in time. I think maybe that's what Kolchak does well. That's sort of like the X-Files is just like, it's capturing a weird period of distrust. Yeah. And it's super interesting actually, because I, I looked up the timeline of the Watergate kind of scandal to see how it matched up with Kolchak and Kolchak is ahead of its time. Like the first movie, did you guys do the movie? Did you guys no, watch the I've TV watched, Luke them, watched them though? Yeah. So the TV, the first one is in 1972 which is before the Woodward and Bernstein published their book and before a lot of this stuff came to light about, I mean, I think, I guess there was some paranoia and people had some, there were some suspicious things happening, but even by 1974, so the show came out in 1974, which means it would have been written a year or so beforehand, probably, and filmed a year or so beforehand, but it still feels like very 1976. I know that sounds weird, but it just, it's right on the cusp, and it's quite clever in that way, I think. I think it was just sort of anticipating a lot of what was happening. Could be, could be. I mean, it definitely feels like it's definitely pulling from, like, a, a, a tone or a, a feeling in the air, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm sure, I'm like, I'm sure that's what was going on. It's just, by the time the X-Files comes around in the 90s, all that stuff is really obvious. Like, government cover-ups and deep throat and the, you know, all of this is like, it's so much a part of the culture. Whereas I think in the 70s, it was just, was just kind of in the news and it hadn't, people hadn't internalized it yet. So anyway, I think that's one of the reasons that the show is like, not the tone that we expected is that it, it does still have that kind of quirky, funny side to it. Because I think nobody would have really committed to like a dark, earnest, the government is out to, you know, corrupt your children and and hide everything from you because that hadn't quite happened yet. 
Um, we mentioned it, I think, the the first podcast, though. There's a hint of that, though, in the opening credits with him whistling, and it's almost that, like, sort of uh, uh, Mary Tyler Moore sort of opening, and then suddenly yeah. it gets too, like, dark and creepy, and he's typing, and it's still my favorite. <laughs> I love the last shot. I usually skip through the credits anytime we have to watch these shows, but I always watch the Kolchak ones because I like his just freeze frame on his face at the end. I'm like, ooh, spooky. Yeah, like something's come into his office and is about mm-hmm. to get him. Yeah. It's the it's truth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, that was actually a very nice uh, dissection of uh, X-Files versus Kolchak. Uh, It was very good. I hadn't expected it. So maybe let's move on to the episodes. Great. Oh, but the last thing is, did you notice that they use the X-Files font in all the episodes? That typed font that they use in all the Kolchak episodes is the same font that they use in the X-Files. I never noticed. There you go. Yeah. It takes an X-Files super fan to notice. It does, especially since now if you watch the X-Files on streaming, it's a different font. Is that right? Yeah, because when they, um, I think when they converted it to HD, they didn't get the font. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, I don't know why, it doesn't seem like it's that hard a font, but it's a different typewriter font. So what you're weird. saying is if there's any young kid out there experiencing X-Files for the first time, they're not really getting the true experience. They're not. They're not. The only way to get it is to go back to the original episodes, which may or may not be available anymore. Your parents still have them on VHS all piled up from you recording them when you were a teenager, right? That is correct. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I'll let you in a little secret. We're not watching the original Kolchaks either. (gasps) No! Apparently the first four episodes of Kolchak the Night Stalker actually aired as The Night Stalker. That was the title Mm -hmm. of the show. And after four episodes, they rebranded it as Kolchak the Night Stalker. So there was a different title, se- not title sequence, but it had a different title when it came out. So we're not even watching the originals. Oh, interesting. I guess they just, well, the, did they think that it was maybe just too confusing because the movie was also called the Night Stalker? I think they realized the sell of the show was Kolchak. And it was so it was right. time to really like focus in on that character, which I, I agree, like you 100%. This show should just be called Kolchak. Yeah. I mean, I would watch Kolchak investigate anything. It does not have to be paranormal in nature. Like, I'm I'm like I'm a big fan of him of his after watching two episodes. I think the Night Stalker is just to really let you know. It's like Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Like it was like Baywatch nights. Right. You know? yeah. It's gonna be yeah. spooky. Yeah. But for years, I like I was. It's also confusing because is he the Night Stalker? He's not the Night Stalker. No, the Night no, Stalker it, was the vampire from the first movie. So that's what the other thing is like when I heard about this show initially and it was called Kolchak the Night Stalker I thought that he was the Night Stalker and that he did like weird stuff at night I think he is the Night Stalker I think it's I my assumption was it was in a reference to him out at night chasing stories but you're probably right that it's not actually him in my head I was just like oh yeah he's the Night Stalker but he, he stalks stories. Of the show happens during the day. That's, that's true. the other thing. I, I was first watching it. I'm like, where is all this night stalking that's supposed to be happening? He's <laughs> driving around all my in night bright stalking? sunlight in his convertible. So day strolling it, doesn't work as well. Kolchak the day stroller? Yeah. I would maybe also watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a spinoff. It's great. It's just him getting his actual stories done. It's, it's really just boring. <laughs> Got to get that byline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, here is the IMDb summary for episode three. They have been, they are, they will be. Kolchak connects a string of bizarre thefts committed by a powerful invisible entity that targets metal deposits to a string of suspicious animal and human deaths connected by the fact that the victim's bone marrow is missing. 
that is an awesome summary. I like right off the bat that we were worried that a couple of the characters we had in the first episode weren't going to come back, but Updike's back and uh, Marmalstein is back. Yes, yes. We got both Updike and Marmalstein back. I'm glad to see them both. It Well, it adds to the show. You get you a feel of the world and the universe we're working in. It's not like going to be he has different people working the office every week. It's just like, yeah, there's people that he, uh, those are his coworkers. I like that this episode opens with a, a twist on the first two episodes. Jane, you didn't obviously didn't see the first two episodes, but both no. episodes start with a sort of a cold open in which like, I think both of them, a woman is murdered and it's kind of mm-hmm. that sequence. This time we get, we start off, it's the same idea. Someone's going to be unexpectedly murdered in the cold open. Uh, this time it's a cheetah. <laughs> i was like oh what a twist that cheetah's being murdered this time how's this gonna how's kolchak gonna get involved in this cheetah murder yeah he he very quickly like he has ears for everything all he has to hear is that one animal died and then he's like but another animal died and i already know about all these other animals who died and he's on the case like he's just he's raring to go that guy He's, he keeps those notes because that's what's happening is uh, back at the old INS newspaper office, the uh, the Cubs are in the World Series and Kolchak is trying to weasel a uh, ticket to the game out of old uh, old Updike, who I guess for some reason has become the new sports editor for the episode. <laughs> I think it's a small office. I think they have to rotate their uh, uh, the parts of the paper they write. Exactly. And uh, he, he gets that ticket. But uh, when Vincenzo comes by and mentions that uh, this other this cheetah has died, that really stirs stirs Kolchak's interest. He, he knows about the previous deaths of a panther and a panda. Um, and he's like, hmm, this is, sounds like a story for me. That's where Kolchak and I are different. If I heard a bunch of animals died, I wouldn't think there's a story for me. I think, oh, that's a shame. Animals die. <laughs> What yeah. I like. Also, I was like very concerned about this zoo. I'm like, this zoo sounds like highly abusive, and like yeah, they're really like not taking well care run. of their animals. Like maybe animal that's neglect. the story. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the real story. I did like at some point he goes to visit the uh, veterinarian who works there, and she complains about the dead panda because they can't get another one because the commies have all the pandas. That was great. <laughs> I loved it. They're in Tibet. The commies have them all. That was that woman is a longtime character actress. I forget her name, yeah. but like she was one of the nuns from in Sister Act. Yeah, yeah. She's At great. any rate, uh, Kolchak hops in his car to head to the zoo to report on the story and hopefully get to this Cubs game, which, spoiler, he's never going to make to that Cubs game. <laughs> but on his way, he picks up uh, something on his old uh, in-car police scanner about an officer being uh, being down at the Ray 9 electronics store. Uh, when he arrives there, he, he, as usual, arrives in the middle of a police SWAT movement. Cops are swarming the building. It's like, it's pure chaos. And as they surround the building... One of the walls to this electronic store, like, just bursts out. It's just, like, bricks everywhere. Cops are flying through the air by the sheer there force of the explosion. So much somersaulting happening, just, like, somersaulting over cars, flipping themselves backwards. Like, I think the gymnastics budget on this show is quite high. And it, it occurred in several other episodes as well. I think maybe people were just really into somersaulting in the 70s. I loved it. I think we're missing that in TV shows now. I like the cutaway to someone doing a huge flip over a car. I'm yeah. like, that is a big explosion. It was great. It is. And a lot oh. of wind. There's a lot of blowing of things. That's mm-hmm. right. In this episode yeah. particularly, I, I like that on this show, it just seems like they just have so much budget for police extras, and they're also just there to get tossed around like ragdolls, which makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> There's, there, I was shocked at how big these like set pieces were when the police, in, in, in throughout this episode, in the next episode, when the police would arrive somewhere, there would be like six cop cars, and like mm-hmm. 16 extras, and I just... 
I mean, you certainly... You, we need to cut the police budgets. That's too many cops. <laughs> you don't need that many cops for this. Anyway. Yeah, and it, inside the wall, the, the police and Kolchak gather around the hole that's been blown in this wall, and what they see is pallets full of lead ingots just stacked up. What is a lead ingot? I think it's like a bar of gold, but it's lead instead. But why? What is the... What is the... Is it valuable? I think it's used for processing. I think it's just the shape they choose to transport it, and it's used for processing whatever lead items i think i could be wrong we'll have to have some sort of ingot expert right in okay well i think the we later find out that this ray nine industries which owns this electronic store they're like a big like multinational conglomerate who like they run an electronic store but they also make missile control systems for the u.s military so like i think they're just like supposed to be this large electronics like firm that might have like lots of pieces for making i guess i guess that was for circuit boards maybe i don't know yeah, it wasn't clear. But they have it. The point is, and a big hole is being burnt, uh, not burnt, uh, knocked out of the wall. So there's a big hole, and they're all watching this big pallet. I think it's just one pallet, isn't it, Luke? One no, I think there's three of, of them. There's quite a few. Okay, so there's a few pallets of ingots, and they just disappear. And everyone sees it, which I yeah. liked, because it, was, it wasn't just Kolchak. It wasn't one of those, you know, like, Pokeroo, he's the only one who sees it. It's uh, that, That's just, that's only a reference for uh, uh, Canadian kids in the 1980s. Um, yeah, so it all disappears. They all see it, and Kolchak's like, what? It's great. He's like, did you guys all see that? And then he immediately gets ejected from the crime scene as the feds show up in their black suits. He's like, I, no, you didn't see anything, Kolchak. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, the police officers who are staring at it immediately decide that they didn't see it. Like, that second. Like, Kolchak is like, what is that? And they were like, oh, they must not have been there. Or I can't remember what they said, but it was just like immediately they just But that is the theme. And Luke mentioned it, and I think the last podcast, that there is a feeling of, if not anti-authority, definitely anti-police in this. And Mm -hmm. police are always seen as a way to stop the truth from coming out as a like tool of subterfuge. They're just there to kind of get in the way, and they're not really doing anything other than cleaning up stuff that's really how the police have been seen in this show yeah i mean the police's first instinct is to lie Mm -hmm. well it's and that's also i mean going back to like the x-files and the paranoia stuff is the fact that the show feels like a police procedural but he's not a policeman he's a reporter and he doesn't like police and he doesn't like the police but he narrates like a dragnet kind of narration (laughs) right and that and the and the format is very similar I, i can't remember um where i first heard about this but there's i don't hear heard about it but like basically if you look at like genres if you look at the genre of the police procedural versus the genre of a mystery they're both very similar in that there's something that happens that like a problem or an issue or a crime that has to be solved but in in the mystery you obviously you follow the characters as they uncover what happened and you tend to not see with the exception of maybe seeing a murder with like a mysterious hand at the beginning of a show, you won't see the crimes continuing. But in a police procedural, you tend to see the police and the criminals or the police and whatever the thing is happen like back and forth. And then over time, the police hone in and catch the criminals. And so you actually have that with Kolchak also because he actually narrates moments where he is not present mm-hmm. so you, it'll go away it'll show something happening one of these paranormal attacks or something and he'll have his voice over so in that sense like it's exactly set up like a police procedural except he's not the police um, no for sure it's it's definitely cribbing those notes it just has chosen it just decided like we wouldn't 
I guess it's just weird. It's like we wouldn't want to watch this, I guess, from that perspective. It doesn't. I guess the creators were like, you wouldn't want to watch this from the police perspective because their job would be to cover it up, I guess. Yeah. Or they would solve it and then the mystery would be over. <laughs> the show would be done. <laughs> police would do their job properly and then there would be no more show. I also like the voiceover on the show and I generally don't in TV shows, but I know it's a stylistic choice to kind of have that like gumshoe kind of feeling to it, which I think works. And then also it's a real time saver. You know, he yeah. can, like you're saying, Jane, if he's not there, he's like, oh, and then the person went through the door and that's why they're there. And they can get through things quickly. And I think they use it pretty effectively in this show, as opposed to some of the voiceovers you sometimes see in where it's just like, you're just repeating exactly what the viewer's already seen. Like, they're actually using it in a pretty functional way. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it was actually, when you watch the original TV movie as well, which was even better written in terms of the voiceover, like it was very good at just like jumping from moment to moment and letting the voiceover really lead lead us in an mm-hmm. interesting direction instead of just repeating yeah what was going on it was cool did you watch the both original movies i ha- didn't watch the second one yet i watched the first one um fair enough and i'm anyway, going to we'll, watch the second one I'm, we'll get back okay. to this episode i suppose yeah. <laughs> uh kolchak leaves the scene of this crime to head to the zoo um, where he finds like the cheetah cage has a similar like blown out nature like, all the bars are blown out like it was at the uh, electronic store and he discovers this, like, looks like a black obsidian ore on the ground. But he keeps claiming it's like, oh, it's real sticky, everybody. Trust me. It looks like it's hard, but it's very sticky. That was funny. That's what he kept saying. And it was just a weird thing that I don't know why they just didn't change it in the script. Because it clearly wasn't sticky. But everyone, for some reason, they needed it to be sticky. But I'm like, look at it. It doesn't look sticky at all. It looks like a rock. Yeah, I thought that maybe it had congealed. Like, it had started out being sticky. And then it had hardened. I was confused by the description of it. Yeah, being sticky. I, I think the writers had hoped they'd get him, get, they'd, buy, they'd get some goo for him to handle, and they ended up getting him a rock, and that nobody kind of ended up like right. writing a fix into that. But it's fine. <laughs> it was just very funny. Um, he finds this thing, and uh, as he's as he's sort of looking at this like sticky black goo, he he's reminded of a uh, a call that came on on a radio show he heard as he was driving over, which is. So coincidentally, everything fits together. Very, very true for the Kolchak show. But he heard a man calling to a radio show complaining about sticky black goo all over his driveway that he blamed on city road construction. So Kolchak, after making a few dead end phone calls, finally just drives over to Mariposa Lane and finds that all the black goo is gone since that apparent phone call. Um, But the man who owns the house happens to come out and says, oh, it's so weird. I called the radio show. Midway through my conversation, they cut me off the air, and then an hour after that, the city showed up to remove the black, the black sticky stuff from my lawn. Uh, they they tried three ways. Did you guys catch the three ways they tried to remove the uh, sticky goo? One way was they tried to go at it with like a flamethrower, yeah, and burned his tree down and his bush, and like almost burned his house. Uh, I believe the other one was a shovel, and then chemicals that turned his lawn yellow for some reason. Oh, right. I want to mention that I don't know if you guys noticed the actor was Dick Van Patten. He's a big actor. Yes, in the 70s I noticed that too. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see a bunch of people show up on this show. Yeah, Eight is Enough. I think that was his big show. <laughs> Jordan, these are, these are the shows for you. These are where all <laughs> your know. heroes live. Did you guys see who the story consultant was on all of these episodes? Yeah. I did. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to it later. A little tease for you, audience. <laughs> Anyway, um, this man, he basically gives them the rundown of what happened. And then he starts talking about how a lot of weird stuff has been happening in neighborhoods. Lots of animal deaths have been happening. His neighbor was on his porch listening to his stereo. And someone just stole the stereo out from under him when he was listening to it. 
and then the cops later found just the chassis to the stereo, all the electronics removed in a ditch down the street. What's happening in this world? The police aren't doing their job. <laughs> you remember the days when people just would steal TVs? Like, that doesn't even happen anymore. Like, e- electronics are so cheap that you, like, it, it's not even a really a, a, a criminal business plan to, like, steal somebody's television. Just doesn't work. I bet somewhere uh, somewhere around a TV still getting stolen. I guess. Maybe not in your bougie neighborhood. Upon <laughs> <laughs> that bad boy for $20. <laughs> um, and so Kolchak also finds another piece of this like sticky goo sitting in the, it, it like left over from when the, whatever the city came to clean up the mess. So he decides to go back to the zoo. There was a veterinarian he was talking to there who uh, wouldn't give him much information, but now he's shown up with two pieces of sticky goo he's found, and he attempts to bribe her with some Cubs tickets to analyze the black substance. She's she's a little hesitant, as all characters on the show are, but finally she does come clean and explains that they've already looked at the black goo. They've discovered it's hydrochloric acid and acetone, which means that it's made from stomach acid and bone marrow, apparently. And she basically is able to theorize that all the animals who've been killed so far have had their bone marrow sucked out of them I guess, sort of vampire style. And whatever did that seems to have then vomited up this black goo once it finished feeding, she figures. I actually, at this point, when I heard this, kind of what you said, Luke, I thought it was going to be something along the lines of like a vampire, because that's what it seemed like. It was going to be some creature. We're going to find some sort of monster that, for whatever reason, had to feed on large animals but it's not where this episode goes and there's a little bit of a like i don't know if this it feels like maybe this was the direction they're going in or maybe it's just me but it just i don't know if this this entity we're gonna find out i don't know if do they explain why it needs to suck out bone marrow i think i think it's a bit of a misdirect actually because Mm. while they're doing this one thing where there's like seems to be a vampire on the loose sucking marrow out there's a sort of secondary story of crimes happening related to electronics because, as you said, Kolchak will narrate these things, but he won't be present at these attacks. But there are there are a couple of humans who are killed, too. Or, Jane, as you mentioned, anytime a human's attacked, wind wind hits them. So I just kept <laughs> and then writing. then they like, somersault backwards. And then I was like, done. that guy just got winded. Yeah. <laughs> but two, two people are killed. There's a purse snatcher who grabs a purse and then goes hi- and hides in an abandoned building to go through it. And what he discovers is, like, the place is, like, filled with piles of, like, electronics. And... He's then immediately murdered. And then we see a TV repairman who goes out into the woods to broadcast radio signals into space using his universal language that he's created. Jordan, I'm sure well, you remember. Was he a TV repairman? Oh, I, he was just a member of that UFO group, right? He was a no, UFO they, they specify his – Kolchak specifies his job. Oh, okay. So that he was, was a TV weird. repairman and a UFO enthusiast. Yes, yes. And he created his own language, his own universal language. Mathematico. I like that the amount of uh, work that was needed just to have this guy be out on like a ledge somewhere. It could have just be like anything, but they had to like, I was like, that's a lot of uh, backstory that's, for this that's guy. That's Kolchak though. Every person he, every person who dies, he gives them a full biography. Like when, remember those gangsters died? We had to that's learn right. about each individual gangster, who married, who's, who married whose sister, who used to be a boxer. None of them ever come back, but you just get like a full bio of every dead character. Mm. I think it's great. I think it's what one of the things that gives the show like its unique character and it it makes you feel like Kolchak as a writer has an actual voice. Because I think often, you know, a TV series will create someone who's supposed to be a writer or some kind of artist, but it's just very generic and bland and you never really see them aside from like maybe seeing them typing. You never really get to consume their art. But Kolchak's writing, you get to hear every episode 
and it has a very, very distinct voice. So whose who's, uh, voice do you like better? Kolchak when he's typing and doing his uh, voiceover or when Scully at the end of the episode is typing on her computer? Who do you like better? Kolchak has way more character than... I mean, mm. I have a big... I love Scully for so many reasons, but compared to Kolchak... And actually, when you look at some of the episodes, particularly the early episodes of The X-Files where Mulder has voiceover or anyone where Chris Carter wrote the episode and Mulder has voiceover, it's much more ornate. Like mm. he does these very, but it's still, it's still not as clever as Kolchak. Mm. There you go. Kolchak takes it. That's right. Well, getting back to the electronics for a second, I think the, I think what's happening here is like, there's this dual crime happening. There's people dying, animals dying with marrow sucked out, but you've got this side, this side thing of electronics going missing. And they talk about at that uh, a few times that like this Ray 9 place is making uh, missile control systems. And throughout this episode, the police are always at the crime scenes, but always off to the side, never speaking, are men in black suits. Probably, like, we're supposed to think federal agents who are also watching over what's happening. So when I was watching this, I was like, so I'm like, I was trying to figure out whether there's two crimes happening or whether it was like, is this like a military experiment gone awry? Like, there was like, they're really toying with like, what could possibly be happening here? Because like, the mayor doesn't seem to match up to the electronics till we get to the end. So it was kind of an interesting where I was just like, there were sort of dueling crimes happening that weren't clear to me as how they crossed over. Yeah, I really felt to me like kind of a grab bag of stuff. And part of me was wondering if that was because it was still kind of early in the UFO mythology, you know, in terms of like the public awareness of UFOs and what what the sort of agreed upon story is of how ufos operate and what they want and what they do to people um but i'm not sure maybe there was ufo lots of ufo lore that was pre-existing but it, it did seem like someone was like ufos and then they just randomly picked some stuff that sounded weird i'll get we can get into it at the end because i actually think it all adds up by the end oh okay you can explain it to me then anyway kolchak then uh, he heads over to see uh, another returning character gordy gordy the, the ghoul, ghoul. Yep. <laughs> Who's still running his death pool lottery? Yeah, it's uh, this show does a, a lot of things very well, and the building of the world is one of the things they do well. And stuff like this, like having having these characters, like there's no reason for Gordy the uh, sorry, what's the profession? The uh, he's a, he's a mortician. He works the at mortician. The... Yeah, whatever he is. There's no reason for him to also be running like a side gambling. Uh, uh, pool on like dead bodies but it just like colors the character in the world and i think it, i i like that sort of thing yeah absolutely um kolchak's there because he wants to get the autopsy report on the guard who was killed at the electronic store during the uh, wall explosion um but before he can get it gordy's boss stanley intervenes and of course stanley's like overly friendly offers to definitely give kolchak a reading of that autopsy report and what he reads to him is just like everything was fine with him he just died of a heart attack but while he's doing this, Gordy really subtly like slides Kolchak the uh, audio, the cassette tape of what happened at the actual autopsy, which was a very funny sequence of him sliding him a cassette tape. Um, but when he listens to it, basically what he finds out is that just like the animals, this guard had all his marrow sucked out. So these things are all intertwined. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the the solution at the end of it was just a golden retriever? Just loves eating marrow. <laughs> just chewed him up real good. Mm-hmm. Runs off with electronics. <laughs> Could be a dog from space. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen that before. 
And Kolchak sort of starts putting together these sort of like disparate elements and including some things we didn't get to that we kind of just see at like brief moments. Like he goes to a police uh, press conference and notices his watch has stopped and somehow notices the police chief's watch has stopped, the guy who was also at the last crime. So he's just like, oh, some sort of electromagnetic event happened at the electronic store. So that has something to do with this. And he takes all of these leads and goes back to for this weird, very kind of funny comic scene with Vincenzo. He goes back to the office to try to convince Vincenzo to let him write the story. And because the Cubs are playing and I guess their papers covering it, the boss in New York loves the Cubs so much. He sent Vincenzo a private catered dinner in his office. Like there's one butler <laughs> serving Vincenzo food in his office is very fancy, but it's just at his office. Yeah, I, I, I did not understand what was happening, except that it was just great fodder for a comedic scene in which Kolchak has to explain all of the ways in which people's marrow has been sucked out and they've been, you know, variously injured and autopsied while his boss Vincenzo is tries to eat. And Vincenzo is like, I have I have an iron stomach, I have an iron stomach. And he just like starts to look iller and iller as he continues to eat and hear these stories. I understood and- giving someone like a fancy dinner, but I, I've, I've never heard of someone also providing a their own personal butler slash waiter. It's the 70s, baby. All bets are off. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he went to a restaurant and had his own personal server. That They've all come to him in his office. Yeah. They it's brought very all odd. that food this to his office. This could be like a new pandemic um, business model, guys. Mm. Have someone come and have a private butler serve you your meals, your meal kit. Which course do you think was the brains course he was about to be served? <laughs> like how many courses in was it? Yeah, because after he finishes this explanation for bone marrow, the, the butler's like, these are brains, and he puts it on another plate. Yeah. I'm just like, what course is the brains course? I think it's third or fourth. I, yeah, I would have thought so as well. Yeah. <laughs> Might have been like some kind of, it was some kind of soup. But really, we get this weird comic scene, and then Kolchak goes to like pull the photos he's taken of like the disappearing ingots and all his research out of the file, out of their filing room. Which, what I loved about this is part of the world building show does really well. Is he goes to their filing room, which is also the toilet. <laughs> it's like a bathroom <laughs> stall. <laughs> and he goes there, all his stuff is missing, and he's like freaking out. And then he realizes old uh, Monique Mar- Marmelstein, she's hiding in the stall in the storage room slash bathroom and she's just like hey listen the feds are here they threatened me with a with an irs audit so i just had to give them all of your files yeah and And he's not nice he's not nice about it at all i wish that we could have seen that scene like i think or seen some kind of clues of that scene and that i think that's one of the places where the show like maybe falls down a little bit and might just be a budget thing or just like a time thing but it's like i would have liked to have seen like these guys leaving while kolchak is arriving or well, like it's funny. You know, walking down the of, hall or something. It is funny because they kind of do. Because I think what we're supposed to get out of it, which I don't think they pull off perfectly, but I, I think because he leaves, he storms out of the bathroom storage room with his stuff is gone. Marmelstein's let them take all his stuff, busts back into Vincenzo's office, and what we see is the feds have are literally we see their backs as they walk away. And as he walks in, Vincenzo's like, "Story's off. The feds came in here. We're not doing this story anymore." And, you know, Kolchak's like, why, why? And he's just like, I don't need another UFO story. And that's the big reveal of the episode when he says, I don't need another UFO story. Kolchak's like, wait a minute. Is this all about UFOs? Is that what the government told you? And Kolchak's double, doubling down now. But I think you're right. The execution's not quite perfectly. You kind of, and I think the idea is they wanted to keep these like, you know, black suited federal agents like silently in the background. But it yeah. does kind of make the, a little, uh, an awkward transition here as they, as they, as they crush the story out of it. Yeah, they just, they're not quite as, and maybe since I was expecting them to be a little bit more ominous, they're not 
particularly ominous. They're just sort of annoyed. There's this annoying idea that they've done this. No, they never speak, right? They never speak. Kolchak never talks to them directly. They're always just kind of in a car, like down the block. Yeah. And they're just, they're foiling his plans, but not in any way that seems particularly like dangerous or worrisome, just like in a way that's frustrating. That's the government for you. I guess <laughs> that's the that's the real bureaucracy for you. It's like it's not it's the banality of evil right there. But anyway, this leads the Kolchak to a monologue about how the government no longer takes reports on UFOs. But if you're very insistent, you'll end up at a, a private organization that I guess collects uh, collects UFO reports. They're, they're a bit of a alien believer society, I guess. I Kolchak- love this. It was like a MUFON group or something. Yeah, it was cool. fantastic. Yeah, they, I, I thought they were like supposed to be like almost like an alien abduction support group. Was that kind of what they were going for? I think so. Yeah, I think it, it's it was it would have been like an a network like a a group for people that were interested in aliens. Hmm. So anybody who thought they had seen a UFO or had read something like would come and just talk about it. And so they obviously had this wackadoo woman who felt that she had been on the flying saucer. Yeah, and, yeah. He arrives at their I guess at a at a big. They have an alien abductee meeting that day. That woman's just telling her story. Great story. Yeah, it was such a great story. But also other people at the at the there's another guy at the meeting who, like, doesn't believe her. <laughs> <laughs> so they welcome lot, all types. There's so much fodder for comedy. Are you going to Luke? Are you going to describe her story? No, go summary? for it. Oh, well, I, I mean, basically, her story involves what sounds like going to a bar on a flying saucer, being offered a drink, a, some kind of bourbon drink, and then having an alien with a many tentacled alien try to get fresh with her. Um, and she rebuffed his advances and then hung out for a little bit longer and then left. Um, and then there was something about, there's this, something about the word wormwood. Yes. which. I, I don't quite remember how Wormwood was. She, I believe what she said is Wormwood's not a not a dangerous star. It's a missile. It's a missile because when you when you spell it backwards and upside down, it spells doom drum or something like that. And this other guy who's there is just obsessively writing, trying to write down this word and try to figure out how it spells doom drum and determines that it does not, in fact, spell <laughs> doom drum when you go read it backwards and upside down and begins arguing with her about it. And then Kolchak just leaves. Like, he's yeah. just like, okay, fine. It's, just it's very like, funny. I kept waiting for that to be important to the plot. Not at all. Just this weird comedy sequence. Yeah. What Kolchak does get, though, is the guy who runs this place, he he has recently received, he's asking, Kolchak's asking if he's had any recent UFO reports in the last week or so. And apparently he did get one opus reported on Monday. What's an opus? I don't remember. No, me neither. You guys, you're not paying attention to the sparkling details Wait, here. wait, wait. An opus, wait. It is, it's like a UFO. It's something, it, it's... Oh, it's, shoot. I can't remember an, now. An opus report is a one-party unverified sighting. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's the great. details, Jordan, they're so fine. They're so detailed. <laughs> yeah. I was look. I was looking in the other direction when that scene happened. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but basically what it was is this report was done by that now dead TV reporter at Snake Rock, which is uh, wh- where Kolchak heads next. Is He goes up there and he kind of like half drops in his monologue a, a little piece of information that maybe he should have seen it a little easier. But uh, he's just like, given all the electromagnetic interference or whatever, I can probably use a compass to track this thing. 
Yeah, I wasn't sure how that was going to work. Was was the idea that whereas the compass normally you can use it to point north, it now was just directing its its magnetism was pointing towards whatever this was. That was exactly the point? exactly. Okay. That's the idea. They kind of drop it very suddenly, and that becomes a major like way to track it i i mean whatever it's kind of a fun way but it ends up leading kolchak to a planetarium where inside there are two dead security guards in the planetarium yeah and like one one security guard is we see before kolchak arrives we see one security guard find the other security guard who's already dead and then that one security guard calls the police but doesn't report that somebody's dead he just says you better get down here right away and that (laughs) very obvious tv way it's and that then, thing i love in tv it's like almost a commercial break thing they used to do it on the next generation all the time which was my favorite to be like uh Riker would call up uh, to, to picard and they'd be like what's on the planet and you'd be like trouble and then yeah. they, go to the, they, they go to the commercial I'm like oh no not trouble i'm like it, you know it's like that's not providing any information but it's real no, fun for a commercial it's break. it's a very poor report number one yeah <laughs> um yeah and then and then Kolchak shows up and then they're suddenly both dead Although we, I don't think we saw the second guard die or whatever. No, no. I, they were just, they've both been killed. Um, and the planet projector, the planetarium projector is turned on. It's starting to show uh, various star maps on the ceiling. All these things are going. We're seeing all the controls moving on their own. And it's at this point we kind of reveal to us, the audience, that um, whatever this entity Kolchak is chasing, it's completely invisible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's clearly directly behind the projector box like the control box moving the controls and we have constantly we have like 12 shots of this projector box with nobody there and the controls moving with nobody touching it and then just the the projector moving and it just went on for a really long time i have a question though about the the entity slash alien this invisible thing so it can clearly when it's attacking someone or needs something I think the assumption is it just pulled the marrow right out of the bones, right? Like there wasn't it's, any puncture said, holes. They or anything, said there right? were tooth holes or something. They did say there were okay. like holes. So when it was taking away the the ingots, was it just holding them and then thus you couldn't see them because it was invisible, or was it like sucking it into its own entity? Is that I a dumb say, question? I would say that is the beauty, and I, I don't know if you guys will agree, but I, the beauty of this monster is they chose to make it invisible so that you didn't ever see it. But it also just lent it to the idea that, like, oh, man, this thing must look crazy. It must look so crazy, whatever this invisible thing is. But it wasn't eating... Okay, so I misunderstood. I thought it was taking the electronics and the lead to fix its ship. Yes, correct. Like, to re- like for that parts repair. But then also, in the meantime, it had to eat because yes. it had to eat, and it ate bone marrow. That was yes. its thing. Okay. That's correct. Okay. You've got you've got it correct. Right. But no, but I agree with Jordan. It's like when the ingots disappeared, it's like, how did they disappear? Scooped they them up. I think Jordan's right. Just scooped away? them up in its arms. Yeah, maybe. Right. So so then based on this theory, if the, the entity had also grabbed Kolchak, he would also then be invisible. Theoretically. Right. But that's okay. why it tends not to grab things. It tends to push them mm, with its wind power. Right. Yeah, that's that was my favorite part about this invisible monster. I was just like, so so good. It can be anything you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. What was it for I, you guys? What did you imagine it looked like? Did you have anything in your head? It was the Mothman. Oh, the Mothman. Okay, Jordan, how about you? No, I actually just thought it was something that it just didn't have a form. I thought it was. That's why I thought it's weird later on when you see there's gonna be a ship sort of thing. I thought it was right. just a formless creature that just doesn't have a corporeal form. Well, okay. Kolchak, 
Kolchak will later attempt to explain why it's invisible by say, by saying he once talked to a scientist who explained to him that humans don't see all all of the bands of the light spectrum. Mm-hmm. So whatever this creature is lives in a different band of the light spectrum. That's why it appears invisible to us, but it is in fact not invisible. Jane, what did you think it looked like? I pictured it as like a blob. <laughs> like a like a kind of like a like an amorphous blob that could like mm. move around and like I don't know I thought maybe because I was like because of that black goo stuff it was kind of in my head so I thought I kind of pictured this kind of black ish so, something that would thing. kill a TNG regular off yeah something like that it's something exactly like that um, <laughs> yeah and then it could kind of also that it could like change shape a little bit so it could like whip a tentacle or an arm out and then like take it back into itself so that's how it was like tossing people around it would like, that's good. I like it. Like it's very Lovecrafty, and it's like you just do the work. You do the yeah. work and figure <laughs> out what this thing looks like. That's why I think it like. worked for me. Is I think they really, they were really just like, you know what? Whatever you want it to be, man. It's as scary as you want it to be. And I'm like, great. I love that. It's so scary to me now. <laughs> At any rate, the entity uh, finally attacks Kolchak here, and Kolchak, as I guess is his only form of self defense, just starts snapping photos of it, and uh, that drive that drives the creature back. Um, and at that exact moment, as he drives the creature back, cops swarm in, as they do on this show. Just, like, hundreds of cops swarm into the planetarium. Um, they run at the control panel. Like, they immediately know to run at the control panel. And uh, the creature just starts tossing around, like, uh, you know, like little like little toys. It's the best. I love how much cops get tossed around on this show. Mm-hmm. And Kolchak explains to, I guess, the lieutenant who's with him, who's there at the other crime scenes. There's always, like, one lieutenant who's there for the entire episode that um, he thinks that the flash he used may have hurt the entities. Like, I was flashing my camera at him, and it drove him back. So the co- so this lieutenant goes outside, finds the federal agents who are sitting in a car nearby, explains Kolchak's theory to them, and he comes back, and he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We've got all these big lights on our cars. We're going to blast that creature as it comes out, kill him with our big lights. And uh, they're like, we just need to get the creature to leave the planetarium. And I guess that part of the plan is they just throw more cops at the creature. The creature throws those cops around and then leaves the planetarium. And as Kolchak exits after the creature, it's like a war has happened. It's yeah, like, suddenly everything is exploded. There are dead cops everywhere. Cop cars are in flames. Like it's just like a war has happened, and he comes out in the and the police lieutenant's like, "Well, Kolchak, it just irritated it. It just irritated it, and it killed hundreds of people." I love how the cops like hate Kolchak, but then do what he says, and then get mad at him that he was wrong, and tell him that he's never gonna work in this town again because you are wrong about your weird hypothesis that like the police didn't even have to do it. They just decided to agree with Kolchak and do his thing, and then. They were wrong. And so it's all Kolchak's fault. <laughs> Gotta blame somebody. Gotta blame somebody. I did like, though, that he his first uh, attempt was wrong. I'm, I'm glad it wasn't a thing where, you know, it's something that gets boring in TV shows where, you know, your main character is never wrong and they just always yeah. do the right thing, whether it's through accident or not. And we've seen it a little bit in this show where via accident he still wins but i like that he was like i've got it guys and it's like oh no no i don't sorry 45 guys that just died (laughs) i like that too because he actually what happens now is he actually just goes back inside to the planetarium and then recreates the scene of his attack by snapping photos again and as he's doing he's just like oh i wonder if it was the wine from like flash recharging that actually scared it my bad (laughs) yeah it's it's the noise of the battery recharging i think it's like the like a hum in the camera yeah, yeah. Cops aren't interested anymore, though. They hate his theory. So Kolchak hops in his car and starts tracking the entity with his compass again. He knows he's close when his compass explodes. 
<laughs> and it, this is where he goes into the forest and he does finally find the entity's spacecraft sitting in the woods. And it's a real like 1950s Mars attack style flying saucer. Yeah, it's got these cute little metal legs that are sticking down and holding it up there. And yeah, a little door, a little hatch little door. style door. Uh, the creature shows up and attempts to attack Kolchak again, but of course he now he just he flashes his camera at him a few more times, and so the entity then just like the door to the spaceship opens, which was very funny to me. I'm just like, why does it like I'm like why does it have this like door to the spaceship? But whatever, it gets in, and then I guess back to the mystery of why it makes things disappear. The the spaceship doesn't launch, maybe because they didn't have the budget for it. The spaceship just vanishes like the ingots. Mm-hmm. You know, and now that I think about it, it may be that the alien had a cloaking device. No, right? Could be. Like, because at first you'd be like, why would the alien exist on a different visual spectrum than his own ship? Right? If the alien was by nature invisible to the human eye, it would be likely that his own ship would also be invisible, but his ship was just sitting right there. So what is more likely is that the alien had a cloaking device so that he could go around and get the stuff that he needed and whatever. And then he also cloaked his ship when it flew away. There you go. That's my Mr. theory. Solved. There we go. There was just a moment there while you were talking where I was amused and I just thought, I wonder if the people who wrote this episode 40-something years ago would think there's people discussing the uh, possible cloaking <laughs> mechanisms of this little uh, prop ship they threw up real quickly. I hope so. I hope yeah. that they had enough confidence in their own work to expect that it would be discussed <laughs> many decades later. Anyway, uh, the the episode concludes with what I think when we now see as like a staple of the show. Is there's a bit of a, a narration coda to every episode where Kolchak kind of gives you a bit of breakdown of what has happened or kind of explains the ideas behind the episode. And in this case, basically what he says is like, they would later try to build a park at Snake Rock where that UFO was. But what they discovered is that nothing would grow in the spot the UFO was sitting. Like Nothing would ever grow there again. So the government just paved the whole thing over. And he, he, he hypothesizes via a uh, metaphor what has happened here. And that metaphor basically is, um, he says that perhaps it's like a traveler stopping to fix a flat tire on his way, um, but more on the cosmic scale. Yeah, I think he says, like, fix a flat tire and grab a meal or, like, grab a, like, it grab a yeah. bite to eat or something like that and yeah. what he's essentially saying is like the theory behind this episode i guess is that a some sort of traveler through space had to make an emergency landing on earth had to get enough of stuff to like fix his car from the primitive earthlings and like he had to eat while he was here and the only thing he could eat was the bone marrow out of living things so this is this whole thing was just like a, an incident in this one like stopover by an alien who had to fix his ship basically yeah and the alien was trying to be good. Like, he wasn't trying to attack people. He mostly went for animals. But, you know, there were just a couple of situations in which he ended up being forced to attack a, a human. So, you know, you can't blame him. It's just, right? it's just an accident. Yeah. He was just, just trying to get off, <laughs> off the planet. I mean, he was in trouble. He's trying to get He's trying home. to suck some marrow. Big deal. Yeah. He's trying to get home for Thanksgiving. What's going on? <laughs> now, I want to see if you guys noticed this, because this is the exact premise to the... Uh, to a Russian story that was turned into uh, Andrei Tarkovsky's film Stalker. I've never hmm. seen Stalker. Is I have this, really? is, this is the exact premise to Stalker, is that it all takes place in a zone where an alien ship landed one time and fucked up all of the, like, basically laws of physics and biology in that space. Because when it landed there, it just, like, whatever it did was so unworldly that it, like, destroyed the ecosystem, basically. Right. Now... Hmm. Stalker, the movie, is made in 1979. Uh-huh. 
five years after this episode. However, the original short story, Roadside Picnic, by uh, Arkadian Boris Strogotsky, is published in 1972. So two years before this episode. Right. However, according to Wikipedia, was never published in English until 1977. Hmm. So I actually... I. I do think this episode is directly based on that short story. I think I don't think they read the short story necessarily, but I think they had heard the basic premise of like an alien lands. Mm. It doesn't interact with humans. It just kind of like it's just an accident. Like it stops to fix a flat tire because that's the entire premise of this episode. Is just like it's just a random circumstance that someone wanders into and it leaves like this weird consequence. But it's not an invasion. It's not aliens you have to worry about. It's just an accident basically that happens, like a right. cosmic incident. And I really do feel like I'm like, whoever wrote this episode definitely had, if not read that story, heard the premise to it and used it as sort of like the premise for the show. And this episode, I kind of felt because we've we'll talk about episode four in a minute. This almost felt in some ways a little a little bit like an outlier because this next episode is very much more in tune with the first two episodes where there's sort of a person doing crimes and he's out to catch them and sort of solve the crime where this one was more like picking up pieces of something and there's this more uh, this vagueness to the whole episode it was a little bit different yeah i mean it's funny it still stick with the monster of the week premise and like the investigative monster of the week but it did by the end of it like it just felt like they had taken the that that usual their usual monster of the week concept and like at least tweaked it enough to feel fresh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it was interesting because i was obviously this was the first episode that I watched of the show. It was, and I, I didn't watch the TV movie for, I watched, I was like, I want to watch episodes three and four. First this is what I'm supposed to do. I'll watch them fresh. Um, so I, I really didn't know what to expect from it. And I did find it like very, it felt very strange and scattered. And then when I went on to episode four, which we'll talk about in a minute, like it felt much more streamlined and it felt much more like it had its own path and it was sort of knew what it was trying to be so i wonder if this episode was just kind of a random like okay we need to come up with a bunch of concepts for the season here's some and then somebody came up with this left field one and they were like well let's just shove that in episode three and then we'll just i don't know i'll have to watch we'll have to watch the rest of the series to see how many others were like that but it being so clearly this like random kind of selection of mysteries seemed weird to me well here let's move on to the next episode then here here's the imdb summary for episode four the vampire may 2nd 8 15 p.m airline stewardess elena munoz missed the detour sign and blew a steel belted radial on a jagged rock she cursed the power of advertising she had no idea how cursed her evening really was sent to la to to interview a controversial guru Kolchak's more interested in tracking down and stopping an extremely vicious female vampire. You know what I like? I like how even if you how you watch these two episodes, look at the titles of the episode. Episode three is they have been, they are, they will be. And you're like, oh, what's this? This is weird and esoteric. And then in the next episode, the vampire. I'm like, well, you know what? You're getting to this one. <laughs> it is true. Like the first two, it was, it was the Ripper, the zombie, the vampire. Yeah. And then there's the, the third one's just like really out there. <laughs> That's what I mean. It it I I have a feeling that maybe there might be another one of these, but I have a feeling this is going to be an episode that is different than the other than these other episodes. At least for the first four, it's it's different in the structure and and the actual plot mechanics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this one opens on another another great shot. These these openings always have great shots, but it's like a woman stopping because she has a flat tire in this road construction site, and as she's trying to fix it, like just arms start crawling out of the ground and like waving in the moonlight. And it was very it was a very freaky sequence. It felt very X Filesy to me. 
Yeah, it was great. Except she didn't get killed. Which I know was she also survived. Nice. She runs away and gets the police and then comes back and they don't find anything. So then the police decide she's a crank. But yeah, she's but still, we know we, we know she was. Yeah. Telling the truth. Um, but yeah, it was nice to not have her because, like, of course, the first thing you expect is that she's going to be killed. Yeah, I thought she was dead for sure. <laughs> not this time. They're really shaking things up on this show. Um, we then cut, of course, to the INS newspaper office where Kolchak's being visited by an old friend from Vegas dropping by to collect a debt. Uh, Jim, the Swede, Brutowski. <laughs> and I can't remember. Is he wearing a gigantic bow tie? Yeah. Neon orange bow tie. It's amazing. That's right. That's right. He actually now goes by James Bright as he's changed careers to be a TV anchor in Cincinnati. There's so much backstory for this guy. I love it. <laughs> it's great. And then there's this whole thing about how, you know, Kolchak should stop writing for the newspaper and get into TV and get a new suit because that's where, you know, the business is at. And then his colleague, this other writer Updike. is like up to, super interested in getting into TV and wants to talk to the news anchor about it. And yeah, it's, it's like it's like there's this whole other thing happening. <laughs> It's very good. And like the Swede is there to get his money. But as he's there, he's, he's mentioning to Kolchak a, a series of mysterious deaths that have sort of cropped up in Vegas that the uh, he's just like, yeah, yeah, they've cropped up. They seem to be going from Vegas toward L.A., but the police are really trying to cover it up. You know how it is. I think and I believe Swede has one of my favorite lines in these two episodes is I believe as he's, he's talking about how the police are trying to, like, keep these deaths under wraps. And as he puts it, he says, quote, the lid is on the pot, but you can sure smell something is cooking. <laughs> And I'm just That's like, that is the best, that is the best line for a cover-up. It's just like, the lid's on the pot, but you can smell something's cooking. I love this. I love the dialogue on this show. Um, at any rate, he's he mentions all the bodies have been drained of blood. And of course, uh, Kolchak's like, he's hot for the story because he dealt with a vampire in Vegas three years ago. So this feels, this feels right up his alley. Yeah, he seems very excited. I was going to say, now, Luke, I know you've watched the TV movie, and Jane, you've watched one of them. Was it the vampire one you watched? Yeah. The first one is vampires. So how similar is this? I know we're going to go through it, but is this essentially the same plot as the uh, as the TV movie, or is that just more like that just colors his experience? <laughs> it's a different, it's a bit of a different story. I mean, it's, it's related. So they, without, well, I, Luke is going to explain this in a minute, but the vampire that exists in this episode is was created by the vampire from the original movie oh it's a direct so sequel this is a, a direct sequel yeah it's a sequel mm. so this vampire is related in that, that way to that vampire that died and no but it's different they it's a different plot there's different types of subsidiary characters it's not a retread yeah, I was right. worried about that too because uh, Jane, you didn't see it, but the very first episode of the series is a retread of the of the movie of the vampire story. Yeah, but without a vampire. But it's it's essentially the exact oh. same plot. Um, so I was really worried I was going to walk the same lines again. But it it is a different. It's a story in its own right. And actually, okay. apparently, this script was originally written to be a third film called The Night Killers. It was going to be set in New York when Vincenzo and Kolchak went to New York before the series were greenlit, and they basically repurposed it and rebuilt it into a uh, into a, a, a an episode of the show. But okay. the idea was this might have been a third film in the series. I see. 
at any rate, Kolchak can't get any more information out of the Swede because uh, the Swede sees Vincenzo coming back to the office and he uh, he's like, I got to run. Uh, because as as Vincenzo answers, she's like, hey, was that the Swede? He owes me $500 from Vegas. And we're like, so many people have gambling debts. Classic newspaper men, I guess. I like it, though. All this stuff really does build the world and it gives you a sense that they're real people living in a real world. And there's other things happening other than the plot. And I think the show does a really good job at that. Yeah, I have. I have liked. It feels like those TV movies exist in this world. Like they, they like it's time about the, how they used to be in Vegas and work there. And now they're here. Like it does feel like there's a, a world building here. Mm-hmm. Um, Vincenzo uh, has recently received an order from the head office in New York. Um, he has to send one reporter to LA to do a profile of a 15 year old guru named uh, Amarta Mira. Um, who's getting married soon. And um, the reason he has to send a reporter from Chicago to L.A. is that I guess the INS office in L.A., uh, four of their reporters were hospitalized after a station wagon rollover. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I like that that was the way they're just like, we got to get him over there. Like, I don't know. They had a car accident. All of them. And then what I like is is Vincenzo's telling him this, and Updike's really into doing the profile on his guru because he's like read a, a book about gurus recently. And we all know Kolchak now wants to go to L.A. because he knows a vampire might be on the loose there. But instead of Kolchak asking for the story, he basically negs Vincenzo. Like, he negs him so hard until Vincenzo wants to give him the story while Kolchak pretends not to want it. And the whole time, Updike's standing there watching it happen, being like, no, no, I want story. Don't do this. (laughs) He reverse psychologies on Vincenzo big time. It's very funny. Um, but it's really just an excuse to get him to L.A. Um, and uh, in L.A., they don't they don't waste any time. The the vampire who will come to learn is named Catherine Catherine Rollins. Right. She's arrived in L.A. and for some weird coincidence, she bumps into her sister's boyfriend on the street. They head back to the apartment the boyfriend and the sister share. She immediately starts making out with him, and he's into it. Then he she as a vampire murders him. Her sister enters the house. Sees what's happening, also gets murdered. A lot of murder right off the top. This woman like kills off her whole family. Every time the the actress uh, has to be a vampire, it made me laugh because she's so over the top with her vampire antics, like the um, uh, the sort of uh, I don't know, baring of her teeth and stuff is so big. It anyways, it made me laugh every time. Yeah, uh, and, it, and the sound effect that they put on is that's right, this crazy hissing sound that's like sort of like a cat basically but clearly is being done by a person and it's yeah. so loud and ridiculous <laughs> yeah it's funny yes. every time but there's you, you uh, the real worry is if if you think you're gonna uh there's gonna be confusion that she's a vampire that's not happening oh she's a hundred percent a vampire don't worry there's no yeah. mystery <laughs> yeah well and this was where i was really seeing like it was this very like police procedural thing where it's like you just watch her killing people like constantly and then you watch kolchak like trying to find her um, yeah, there was no, never any doubt as to well, that's what she happens. was at all. Is, is Kolchak basically hits the streets running. He, he he arrives in L.A., hears about another vampire attack that happened in Barstow on the way to L.A., drives out there, <laughs> has a weird tête-en-tête with a uh, local police chief, and uh, basically discovers, yes, another man had his blood sucked out, and that they were driving a car that had a completely blacked-out window. So definitely a vampire. We're on the We're on the hunt for a vampire. Um, yeah. Well, he's he's decided it's a vampire, and so now he's already he's he's confirming things with info. He's like, I think it's a vampire. Oh, blacked out windows, you say? Yes, it must be a vampire. He knows. He knows what he's after. Yeah. <laughs> um, but of course, he has to do that profile on the guru. So he he decides he'll he'll pop by and do the guru story real quick. But when he arrives, he's a little late, and the guru has already left for Dallas permanently. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know if we, we properly articulated. He's supposed to have gone to uh, L.A. to do the story on the guru, but what he really wants to do is this other case. So, But he still needs to go through the motions and get the story, but he's now blown it because the guru has already left. That's true. But thankfully, uh, the guru's realtor, Faye Kruger, is there trying to sell his <laughs> L.A. house. Um, you guys, this house had eight bedrooms, four and a half baths, and Etruscan marble uh, fir- fireplaces. Uh, how much did she say this house cost? It was four and a half million, wasn't it? No, I think it was $545,000, something like that. That was it? Yeah. She I said, thought it was in the millions. She no. said it was five twenty-five five. Five twenty-five five. There you go. Yeah. Which? Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? How much is five twenty-five five? Five thousand twenty-five. No, five hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. All right, great. That didn't in make any seven, sense to me. In the seventies, for a house that would probably now be worth like maybe three million, that makes sense. That's good. That's good price for that house. Kolchak should have bought it. Definitely. I think it'd be more than three million. Well, it depends where it is. That's true. I don't know how many L.A. real estate shows you watch, Jordan, but I know what I'm talking about. It's not one of those neighborhoods where they're still stealing TVs, is it? Oh, I, I certainly hope not, but you never you never can tell. L.A., you never know what to expect. True. Anyway, uh, luckily for Kolchak, Faye, the realtor, has spent a lot of time with this guru, and she also used to be a reporter. She went to school for it. She's been thinking mm-hmm. about getting back in the game, so Kolchak offers to let her write his profile for him. Uh, and that'll get her back into reporting. He'll, he'll of course, need to keep the byline for himself, but it'll be her way back in. And she's just like, sounds great. I'll write your story. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty funny little kind of subplot that, you know, he still needs to get his story done. He can kind of help her, but not really because he's doing it for his his own gain. Um, and it just kind of runs through the rest of the episode where she keeps, you know, wanting him to help her with the story. And he's not that interested because he's too busy vampire hunting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not really a big part of it, but every now and then he checks back in with her and he's like, how's this story going? She, and he's, she's like, therefore, utmost great. And he's like, what? <laughs> what are you writing on this story? How do you spell magically? One L or two? But then she basically just ends up writing a real estate story about the house, which is yeah. also hilarious. It's like, very funny. Yeah. Because Kolchak keeps saying he's going to proofread it before she sends it on the wire. And he's so busy. He's just like, whatever, just send it on the wire. And then, like, you know, Vincenzo gets, he's like, what are you, what have you written? Why is there so much information about the house in this article? <laughs> Does it say that the guru has copper pipes in his house? Why is this important? It is, it is a weird, funny runner through the thing of just Vincenzo getting these weird stories written by Kolchak. But uh, the woman who's writing it is just like not doing a great job. And Kolchak doesn't seem to care at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, at any rate, this this gives Kolchak the time to investigate the vampire. And uh, he finds out the L.A. police have already arrested two suspects for all these uh, blood-sucking murders um, related to a local coven named the Dark Star Coven. Um, I loved yeah, yeah. it. I love the Dark Star Coven. Uh, they're, they, they, the other, it's great because he goes to a police confer- a press conference and all the reporters there aren't buying the story. But, like, the police are just like, no, nope, this is what's happening. And they call them warlocks. <laughs> they say they've got two warlocks in jail. Well, they they might have requested that. They're like, if you're gonna you're gonna book me, please call me a warlock. Um, but the lieutenant was played by William Daniels. Did yes, it? it was Mr. Feeney. And I more know him as the voice of Kit. I know Jordan would call him Kit. <laughs> I did not recognize this man at all. No. Oh, I was excited to see him. 
um at any rate uh, kolchak here's what's kind of the the police cover-ups already in process so he he goes to check out the crime scene where the murders happened here he finds this lieutenant who was giving the press conference and obviously the lieutenant's also having his doubts about these warlocks and kolchak really pitches him on the idea of vampire right behind it but this this lieutenant doesn't like all police he doesn't want to hear it doesn't want to hear kolchak's theories but kolchak does manage to get a lead out of the building supervisor who he he kind of like plays it like he might be a cop and the building supervisor kind of tells him that the dead woman had a sister who had moved to Vegas several years ago and went missing. And now that this woman's dead, he, he noticed a lot of her clothes are missing and Kolchak kind of is like, Oh, interesting. Do you know where the dead woman worked? And he, he gets the, he gets the lead that she worked at Grace's catering, all kinds of strange hours. Yeah. They, uh, it comes out real quick that this catering service is just a front for a prostitution ring but they sort of like play like very at first it's like a very playful thing what do they say instead of like turning tricks they're like she did somersaults or something like that yeah oh stunts stunts yeah she's doing stunts yeah instead of instead of tricks but (laughs) that'd be my dad if you ask my dad that's what he said she was uh, doing stunts but kolchak is like oh i wonder if they're listed under restaurants in the yellow pages it's like um no he does finally track down the phone number and calls them up and he talks to the uh, the the head pimp or as he's referred to in in the in the show uh, the Mac Daddy. <laughs> Do they call him that? Yeah, someone says she like, calls him. Ma- the girl calls him her mm, Mac Daddy. Her Mac Daddy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a man named Ichabod Grace. Yeah, right. There's not too many men named Ichabod anymore these days. He looked like an Ichabod too. He was well cast. Mm-hmm. He sort it's of true. like got that like had that kind of tall long look to him <laughs> he he reveals that uh, Catherine the vampire has indeed started working for him recently and uh, Kolchak basically books a date with her for that evening and he's like he back. doesn't know that she's a vampire he, he, he was like know. yes Catherine the vampire is now available uh, he doesn't know. He would never have hired a vampire had he known. I'm, I'm just saying if this whole plot didn't go forward she would have made a terrible prostitute like like her she has no return business she eats everyone or whatever sucks their blood doesn't eat them she sucks their blood so like yeah but i guess not, if she that's gets, not a recipe for success if she gets paid first then she's still bringing money back to the pimp and the thing is is that there's a lot of business travelers so you're not necessarily expecting return business it's like you know they're going to be in town and then they're going to be gone all right jane you would run a better prostitution ring than i could we get it okay <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Luke, you would I, do okay too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back on track. I'm gonna try to get back on track. <laughs> um, so Kolchak has ordered ordered Catherine to come by his apart his his uh, hotel that night. He sets up. He puts a big cross on the wall. He's he's getting ready. The woman drops comes who comes by. Turns out she's not Catherine. It's a, just another woman was sent over to see him. And she basically reveals like, oh, yeah, Catherine was supposed to come to your place at eight, but he, she got a better call. Apparently, um, one of the players for the football team, the L.A. Rams, had uh, had had called in for a for a girl. So she was sent over to his place instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, th- that scene was also hilarious where he lets so he Kolchak is like prepared to receive her and he thinks she's going to be the vampire and he's going to get ready to get her. So he turns all the lights off in his hotel room opens the door and then the woman walks in and then he closes the door behind her and then flips the lights on and like throws the cross in her face and is like holding a stake and is like ready to get her. And she's just like, what, what kind of kink is this? Like, what kind of game are you playing? Like, <laughs> what are you into, honey? Like, um, anyway, it's great. I thought it was great. It was a good, it was a very funny sequence. I also like that at some point when Kolchak's preparing, he just reaches into his bag and pulls out like a mallet and a, 
and a steak. I'm like, does he travel with that or did he have that specially made recently? I, th- I felt like he had made the steak himself. That's <laughs> how I felt he had. And the mallet was just like, a you know, a hardware store kind of mallet. I mean, it did feel genuinely like he had dealt with a vampire before and he was very prepared to deal with one again. Well, I mean, I guess maybe you're right. Maybe he was just carrying that around from the last time he murdered somebody. I loved it. I loved it a lot. <laughs> um, at any rate, now that Kolchak realizes this isn't Catherine, we, we cut to the football player's house where the football player and the vampire are laying next to his fireplace, giving each other the daintiest little kisses. Just it so dainty really little weird. kisses they're giving each other. <laughs> Smooch, 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 smooch. But then the football player is just kind of also just lying there. Like he's not even very actively trying to do anything. They like smooch a little bit. And then he just is like, mm. like he's like he's falling asleep or passing out or something. He just he probably just had a big game. I guess. He just he just called her over for some smooches so he could get to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like things start getting really insane because they're like Kolchak's monologue just like, but then the rest of the football team dropped by to play a prank on their best friend, this football player. And then you have like four other guys, four other like giant guys walk in as they're like laying on the ground. At which point the vampire just starts like murdering every football player in the room. Yeah, what what was the prank supposed to be? That they were gonna walk in on the middle of of the thing? I it's not even clear if they knew he was gonna have a girl over. It just like they just also showed up. Is I guess is the idea. No, it was because I think uh, Ichab, uh they the other uh, prostitute had said that. I don't think it was the guy, the football player ordered her. I think it was his friends. Oh, so this was all just a prank to humiliate him because he didn't know how to have sex. He only knew how to give little smooches. <laughs> I think that's it. They're going to walk would, in and be like, look at you, you just fool. point and laugh. Point and laugh. Oh, male um, bonding. But really, the point of it is, is they want to get like a bunch of really big stuntmen in a room with a vampire. So the vampire can essentially throw them all over the room so we can see how powerful the vampire is. And there was so much more somersaulting, which is my favorite thing. It is the one thing I really like about the show, which I would think at some point would get boring to me. But I, I every episode, they really like to show you that whatever the supernatural entity is, it's so much more powerful than anything like any human being. So they have to show you it just like tossing men around like they're like they're rag dolls. And I, I, I every time I like really enjoy it. Kolchak, of course, arrives mid mid football murder. He like walks in as usual, starts snapping photos of like these football players getting murdered. The vampire attacks him. His camera gets tossed in the fire also per usual. So he can lose the footage he has. And he, of course, knows he's a vampire, so he's able to make a makeshift cross and drive the vampire away. And as soon as he does that, as always, police swarm the room. Just police swarm into the building as soon as the vampire leaves. I was sure he was going to get arrested here, as he has several times that they were going to blame him for the for the murders. But it's not really a thing. It isn't. No, no. And he's always just standing there. But I think at this point, like, the police departments know him well enough that they're just like, oh, it's just that annoying guy, Kolchak, who got there before us but like there's never a question of like how he got onto the property whether or not he might be trespassing whether he's supposed to be there whether he's interfering with the crime scene like nobody cares in the the, one of the first episodes he just like drives on the sidewalk and says don't worry i'm press like it's like this is how this is a different time it was the 70s it was a different time um and this is where that lieutenant i believe you called him mr feeney mr feeney's back mr feeney Mm -hmm. I believe his name is Lieutenant Mateo. I wrote it down. Lieutenant Mateo. And he he basically is just like, you know, Kolchak's like, 
it's a vampire. And he's like, listen, that's enough of this, Kolchak. Pack your stuff. Be out of the city by 6 a.m. And this really gets to Kolchak because he, he rushes back to his apartment or his hotel room, starts throwing all his stuff in a bag. And uh, this Faye woman, is she's still there trying to write this guru story. And as, as, as he's p- tossing all his stuff into his luggage to get out of town, Faye's just like mentions something about not wanting to be a reporter anymore. She's like, thanks for letting me write this story for you, but I'm going to go back to being a realtor. And this causes Kolchak to think, hey, wait a minute. You're a realtor. Where's this vampire living? That's the key to this story. And she happens to tell him that, like, oh, yeah, you can get a listing of all the properties sold and rented in the last week if you want. And this is how Kolchak is able to pinpoint that the vampire has rented a rundown old mansion in the Hollywood Hills. Which looks just like a vampire castle. It's amazing. It's this amazing. Like, it's I think got that's like a what turret, he was doing. Like a, ro- like a witch's hat roof on it. Amazing. Yeah, awesome. I think he was looking through and he's like, new house, new house, new house. Oh, creepy old haunted house. That's the one. I think in his monologue at some point, he does almost say specifically, it's like, mm, it was the perfect place for a vampire. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he met that one and now he stereotyped them all. <laughs> anyway, Kolchak heads off to the Hollywood Hills to this mansion where he, he sets up a trap for the vampire. We don't get to see what it is till the end, but he we see him showing up with a with a can of gas. And then we see him, as as he always does when he goes into his, Jordan will know this, he, if he goes to any sort of creepy old haunted house, he stumbles around comically falling over a lot for a while. <laughs> yeah. He knocks things over. He's like, yeah, not I very love subtle. how clumsy this character is. He's just so clumsy. <laughs> like yeah. Mr. His, Bean his level. Being quiet and sneaky is not his strong point. But his whole body language is like he's always got his camera and his tape recorder dangling off of his arm on a strap. And he's always his his jacket's always kind of undone. And he always looks like he's kind of falling instead of walking pretty much. Absolutely. Yeah. But of course, this is part of the plan, I think, because all this stumbling attracts the vampire's attention. And when the vampire sees him, Kolchak takes off. He runs off into the sort of area behind the house, up into the Hollywood Hills. And what he's done is he set up a trap at the uh, famous landmark in L.A., the Hollywood Cross. It's a big, big white cross in the Hollywood Hills. He has doused the whole thing in gasoline. That was my question. Is that a famous thing? Yes, apparently it is. Uh, oh. oh, see, I that was I, that's why I was confused because I don't. I guess I don't know my local LA info. But like, I was like, did he put that cross there? So there was a shot he, which you probably missed. And when he drives into LA, he actually drives by it and looks up and sees it oh, on the hill. I didn't see that. Um, which well, the first time I watched the episode, I didn't see that, and I thought also that he had placed the cross there. But then when I watched it again, I realized that no, it was it was. It was yeah, established when already. When he's driving around looking at the the pancake building you talked about earlier, like the the Capitol mm. Records building, they're sh- they're cutting to shots of LA landmarks, and that's one of the ones he looks at. I see. Um, you were too busy laughing at men with uh, eyeshadow on. You were just that's rolling right. on the floor. <laughs> that's right. Like yeah. men with eyeshadow, what a thing! <laughs> well, I was laughing. I was laughing at Kolchak. That's why. <laughs> anyway, he leads her back to this cross, which she's doused in, in gasoline. So as she chases him, he tosses a match on it. The entire like cross just bursts into flames. Like there's a huge flaming cross, and then he's also like doused, I guess, a circle of, of gasoline around sort of the area around the cross, which also lights up, essentially trapping Kolchak and the vampire in a circle of flames in front of a flaming cross, which causes the vampire just to collapse it's all too much for this vampire i don't know my vampire lore that well but is fire one of the things that hurt a vampire yeah 
Yeah, I think because it's like sun, it's it like is. sunlight kind of. So I see. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can. The... I think you can burn a vampire, and also like the big cross is there. So I think it's supposed to be the combination of things, just kind of like knocks her on, knocks her on her ass, and. Mm. What has to be my favorite scene of the show? Like, it looks great. This whole sequence looks amazing because it's in the middle of the night. There's just flames everywhere. And Kolchak pulls out the stake and the mallet to drive into her heart. And as he's about to do it, Lieutenant uh, Mateo shows up with a bunch of cops. And they're just standing there watching Kolchak just <laughs> drive, brutally drive a stake into this woman's chest. Just, like, smash it, flames everywhere, a huge burning cross. Cops just watching a man just, like, brutalize this woman. And it's just, like... That's how it ends, and it cuts to the coda that ends all these episodes where Kolchak explains what's happened. And it cuts to that, and Kolchak's like, and I was booked for murder. <laughs> As I expected, I was booked for murder. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what but happened like, in the first fair. one, in the, in the movie, right? He got booked for murder for that other vampire. I was, was like, fair enough. It him. definitely looked like you murdered that woman in front of all those cops at the end of that <laughs> episode. But, but he was let like, go, and why was he let go? He was let go because the autopsy report on the woman showed that she was had been dead for at least three years. Mm-hmm. So, so Kolchak was lit free and got to get back on that plane back to Chicago. Yeah. He loves technicalities. <laughs> it's truly, truly. It was a great. It was a great climax. I gotta say, this might be one of the best climaxes this show's done. Yeah. Like the oh, flaming cross. I also cross. really liked how he was like, "It was a local landmark, so naturally I had to pay for the new one." Oh, that's like, right. I forgot <laughs> about that. He says he has to pay for the local landmark too, which is very funny. Again, it's just like one of those little flourishes. It's like if he hadn't said that, no one would have cared. Like no one watching the show would have been like, "But wait, it's a local landmark. Aren't they gonna charge?" Him? No, but he like they have to put that in for of him saying that, which just like just kind of grounds everything in this like really funny believable way that i think makes the show quite appealing it's it's a nice it's a nice ending to the episode for sure i i think uh yeah i don't know do you guys have any final notes on these two episodes because that kind of wraps up that plot um do you guys have anything you want to talk about these last two that we didn't cover before we get to ratings i think we do the ratings yeah let's do it all right well jane as you are our guest and how this usually works is how, what do you what do you want to give out of 10 to the they have been they are they will be episode because it was a bit muddled and i wasn't sure about it i would probably give that like maybe a six a six mm-hmm. jordan what do you think i feel very similar i i would give it a six as well except i'm going to give it an extra point to a 6.5 because i think it was different i think where it loses me a little bit is the execution. I think it's a little more confused than it needs to be. Like it felt a little scattershot the episode, but I like that it was different than the other episodes. So I'll give it a six and a half. It's almost there. I actually don't think, I think it was perfectly executed. Like I actually don't mm. think there was mistakes made. I think they meant everything they did in it. I think it suffers from being like having to be made for television. Like I don't think they could get into some of the bigger ideas they were futzing around with a little bit but I, I honestly i think this is my favorite episode of kolchak i think it was like hmm. if they did it this way more where it was a little more like they were trying to do something a little more than just monster of the week i think they would get i'm giving it a full eight wow mm. impressive i i don't know if they'll make a better episode this year i don't think there'll be a better episode of kolchak really that's quite the challenge you still have like 15 episodes left I, yeah, I just don't think they'll do it. I think it's going to go to. I think it's going to follow to Monster of the Week too much. I think this is the best version they'll do. I think that is a good lead to the next episode because 
I didn't love that episode, but I get why you liked it, Luke. And I think there was elements of a lot of interesting things there. Again, I think the execution was a little bit off. I mean, we probably disagree on that. But after watching the third episode, and I was like, no, that was okay. Then I watched the fourth episode, and I think I appreciated the third one more because I was like, oh, we're back to this again. And it did feel a little bit like... I'm scared that this show is sort of hit a level and it's just going to stay there. Like it's not going to get any better. It's not, I don't, I don't see it getting any worse, but it seems like it's worse than might be that we're just repeating itself. So I'm only going to give this one a six. What do you think, Jane? Yeah. So that's interesting because I watched it. Like I had only watched episode three and four. So I didn't initially have the point of reference of the TV movie also being vampires or any of that kind of stuff. And so I thought episode four was quite like good. Like it, I thought it hmm. was like, interesting and well executed and it had like a really good through line and so in that sense i would probably give it like an eight but i do appreciate what you're saying about you know it's actually kind of a retread of the same thing and i'm not sure how it compares to the first you know episodes one and two which i also haven't watched so if that's starting to feel like a repetitive structure or repetitive kind of style then i could see why you would rate it lower but for me just coming in and watching those two episodes i would i would give episode four an eight myself yeah i actually think i think the vampire is much better done than the first two episodes i think i would agree i would agree with you but don't you feel like it's it's interchangeable with them don't you think i guess i i felt it was significantly better and really yeah i thought it was significantly better than the first two um even with that hissing it didn't bother (laughs) me at all the hissing didn't bother me at all (laughs) um yeah i i think i i don't think i liked it as much i think you're right the monster of the week thing is a potential weakness, but I still think even even with the concept that is a monster of the week, they still like it. Still felt fresher than the first two. I think mm. they brought some new stuff to it. It was it had the problems that Kolchak has of some convenience. They always have conveniences like why is he got to go to L.A.? How does he find out about this thing? But they do an okay job of making it a funny reason he these things sort of happen. I, I'm gonna give it a seven. Plus, I really enjoyed the realtor. I like I, I thought that character and that whole subplot was just hilarious. I, that's what I think. I think I think it's fine. We were seeing Updike. The little side characters are very funny. I don't know. I think it is finding its footing. And if it has to be Monster of the Week, at least it feels fun. Agreed. Yeah. I but I'm I'm I'll be curious to know if it changes in either direction. If we do start feeling that we've seen it a million times, or if it gets to a level of you know it starts breaking new ground. I, I'll be interested to see because there is so many episodes that we have to get through. So I'll be curious. I mean, yeah. I'll give, kind of I'm going to give it this, Jordan, and you should, you, you'll understand this, is we just watched Super Train, where every episode was the exact mm-hmm. same kidnapping, where they couldn't find yeah. anything fresh or new to do in each episode, where at least these ones are like, they are, they're, they're treading similar ground, but at least they, they don't feel harder to watch. Well, and also, if you think about two shows that are sort of in the same time period, this is actually earlier than Super Train, and they've done a better job of creating a world and uh, side characters. And it just feels like an actual alive, real place and people. Whereas in super train, it didn't at all. Yeah. You want to live in, you want to live in Kolchak world, not super train world. Yeah, exactly. Unless you, unless you love dancing, then super trains for you. I really need to get listening to these super train podcasts. I think sounds mm. like you're fine. It's highly get over exciting. It. No, <laughs> I've never even heard of this show. So now I'm looking that up. Um, But yeah, I mean, the other thing too, is obviously like any of these shows, I think Kolchak will, I hope that we'll find that it is very much like an, a well-written cop show, which is that it is repetitive because 
you have a genre and you have viewers that go in expecting a certain type of storyline every week. And so you can't deviate too much from that. And it's still a show from the seventies. So they're not going to rely too much on previous knowledge of previous episodes when you watch it, right? Like it's, it's, everything's going to be self-contained so that you can't avoid, but hopefully it will be, um, yeah, there'll be enough variety in the types of adventures that he has to keep it going. Oh, and one thing I forgot to mention that, Jane, you alluded to at the beginning of this podcast is that at least one of these episodes was written by David Chase, uh, most commonly known for The Sopranos, who I believe, Luke, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this was his first writing gig in a writing room. Yeah, it was his first story editor job. So he worked on all twelve, all all 20 episodes. Yeah, he comes up at variously as a story consultant or having written it. So he was clearly on the writing staff in some way. We'll get into uh, but that. But I don't in think there's any episode. sense that this is like future Sopranos feeling. There's none of that in this. I mean, you can see you can see a certain flair for dialogue. Yeah, good writing is good writing, right? Like if, you know, that's the other thing is like you see you start to see that the people that were on this show went off to do other things, even though the show only lasted a season is that it it actually had really good talent on it. So, well, that about wraps it up. So, uh, Jane, thank you for joining us, as always. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to watch more of the show. And I'm going to listen to the rest of your episodes, too. I hope that it is fruitful and fun. I hope it's fruitful and fun, too. <laughs> That's our new motto, fruitful and fun. Continue I think it will be. I, I think you can sometimes get a sense. I mean, Luke, I think you'd agree with me. Usually right off the bat, you're going to go, oh, no, this is going to be a show that's going to be hard to watch. Or, and I don't I don't get the sense with Kolchak. It's always like, oh, well, let's see what adventure he's up to this week. Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, the only the only thing that's a struggle for me is just like the format of the like editing and storytelling from the 70s. Like, I just wish it wasn't 51 minutes long. If it was like a mm. tight 44, it would have been like perfect. They are long. But that's just that's just the you can't fault the time like this is how tv was yeah mm-hmm. at any rate that wraps up for this episode so listener you can email us as always at continuandrag at gmail.com and on instagram and twitter we'll have some clips from this episode um i don't know uh, cheetah being murdered probably <laughs> well you don't actually see the cheetah get murdered you have to yeah, put somersaults. in somersaults so many police tossed around <laughs> And the burning cross? I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Some There'll be a burning cross. Various iconic images from these episodes that you could put up on Absolutely. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wraps it up. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Bye, guys. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.